taking the shape and form of our life for your glory. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every single person has a unique sound to their voice. Choir directors and vocal coaches call it the vocal timbre, which is not how it's spelled. Timbre is the tone quality, and, and it's what sets us apart to know that when our mom calls us, essentially, and we recognize it's our mom. She doesn't have to say, it's your mother calling. We know it's our mom because we never understand, but we hear and we recognize the timbre of her voice. Now, Jim flew back from Nashville this week as she was dropping off Maggie at uh, her summer mission project. And she was, she was telling me how she was on the plane. She kept hearing a voice, and she thought she was, she was hearing this voice. She said, no, it like so-and-so. And then later when she gets up from her seat, she turns around, she sees this man and his wife, that she had thought it sounded like. But even on a crowded plane, the timbre of their voice is recognizable. But when it comes to really famous people in history, even if they were standing right behind us, we wouldn't recognize them probably. George Patton, known for his rousing speeches as a general during and his leadership during World War II, he didn't have a deep baritone voice like Hollywood portrays him. He was more of a tenor. So ashamed of the timbre of his voice that he didn't allow anyone to record his normal conversational voice. Even Daniel Day Lewis, the actor, when he was preparing to play, play Abraham Lincoln, he keyed in on descriptions of what Lincoln sounded like that he had a high, scratchy tone. Now, as we turn to Acts chapter 20, we think about the Apostle Paul. Of course, we don't know what the Apostle Paul's voice his timbre, his voice sounded like. But we do know the tone of his life. And in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, Paul gives his parting words to the Ephesian elders. This means that they will never speak or they'll never see his face again. And in doing so, as we look at this passage, we're going to see what drives him to keep going in ministry. How does this tone get set in his life? And so here's the main point I want us to look at this morning here. Uh, the main point is this. The way Paul lived his life should motivate us to have the tone of our lives be others-focused and Christ-centered. The way Paul lived his life, it should motivate us to have the tone of our lives be others-focused and Christ-centered. And so my whole aim here this morning as we look at this passage is that we have an opportunity, this is an opportunity for us to consider the tone of our own lives and what we're living for. What is the timbre of our life? And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at one big point and then I want us to follow up with two questions. And here's the point. I want us to look at the tone of Paul's life. And then I want us to ask two questions. What motivated Paul to live this way? In other words, how did that tone get set? And then the last thing is, how should this sound in our lives and in our church today? So the tone of Paul's life, what motivated him to live that way, to set that tone, and then how we should set this sound, and then how should this sound in our lives and in our church today? And so let's look first here at the tone of Paul's life. Now, we've been following Paul and his traveling companions as they're on their missionary journeys. And as we saw last week, we've gone through Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth. And there are a lot of things that are taking place in these 
Jesus to myself. But if you notice the context here, what's he saying? He's saying this in the face of suffering and potential death. And so he's saying essentially, I know I'm going to Jerusalem. I know death awaits me and certain imprisonments and persecutions. And yet still, I don't account my life as precious unto itself. I'm not just self-preserving and content because I know something that's better than human life itself. So even in the face of death, his accounting it holds true. Now look at this part. If you can write this down, it's a well-known verse, Galatians 2.20. Why can he say these things? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is Paul essentially giving a theological truth. When Christ died, I died with him. When Christ rose, I rose with him. And so now the life I live, I live by faith in Jesus, because that's where my life comes from. And so Paul is essentially, that's the theological truth. But right here in Acts chapter 20 is the theological truth being lived out in real time. And the real-time application is, even in the face of death, I don't count my life as precious unto myself. And so when Paul says, though, I, I don't account my life of any value, he, he's not promoting self-loathing. He's not saying, I hate myself. Yeah. Think about this. I mean, I, I think there's, there's probably a good number of people here, even this morning, or watching online, who would really struggle with that feeling of self-loathing of themselves. Maybe it's because of their past. Maybe it's because of what's happening in their life now. Maybe it's because of particular struggle and sin. And so if you think about somebody's view of, their, of themselves, it's naturally going to be shaped by a few things. First, it could be their temperament and how they're wired. Shapes how we look at ourselves. Another thing that might shape how we look at ourselves is how other influential people, maybe a parent, kind of looked at our lives, either positive or negative, and spoke about and kind of gave us a view of ourselves, a self image. Another thing we look at is our successes and failures. And often our failures loom large in our minds. But so, so there's all sorts of things that help, that, that cause us to look. Wrongly at ourselves, and to take something like this and kind of say, What are you saying, Paul? Like, you want me to hate myself? I already attempted enough. What is it? And he's heaping on, on top of me, and Paul's simply saying, No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. He, he wants us to see a different way to view ourselves. He doesn't want us to look at ourselves through the lens of self. He wants us to see, us, to see ourselves the way God sees us, that we belong to Him, that we've been reconciled. Justified, that we've been redeemed, that we've been forgiven. He wants to remember you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but you who live in Christ. And so what Paul's doing is essentially he's again putting theology on display and he's saying, Since I belong to Christ, my life belongs to him. So how can I spend my life for other people, for Christ himself, and not worry about the cost of that? Myself. I don't count myself, and I consider myself, he says, of any value, or my life as precious to myself. And so, Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.7. He says, whatever gain I had, 
careful attention to yourselves. But he goes on, hands are all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made the overseers. And so, whoever appointed these elders, I think it was Paul, essentially, Paul appointed the elders, but who really did it according to this? The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so, God has sanctioned these elders, these leaders, here in Ephesus, and he wants them to pay a close attention to themselves and to all the flock. They're elders seeking to care for the people. And so, the role of an elder is to care for the church, which is of utmost value. I think if you notice here, he said, the, the church bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so, in that way, the church is priceless. It's been obtained by Christ. Nothing else could have bought these brothers, brought these brothers and sisters into the kingdom, except for Christ's sacrifice of himself. So, therefore, since it's by the precious blood of Christ, you need to care for the flock with tender compassion. Just as they seem called you, so should that tone be in their own lives as well. It's a delicate church. You know, Janet Wynne Flowers, Jim Loves, and Orchids. And I don't know if you've ever been up to this. I just went there last year for the first time. Uh, up in Northville Park, there's a huge greenhouse that sells nothing but orchids. Orchids by I'm not looking at my own self. In fact, I count myself 